Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. That idea of just the goodness of God, right? So symbolized in the, the sacrament of communion or the Lord's Supper that we do of God's love for us and God's sacrifice for us. And when we think about this idea of communion, many times I think our, our our minds go to the passage in the gospel and this beautiful picture where Jesus is in the upper room with his 12 and they're breaking bread and we have this intimate moment where Jesus shares with them the things that are about to come. But today I, I wanna go past that and go to a, a little teaching the apostle Paul gives us to the church of Corinth dealing with this area of communion. Paul's gonna share with them to remind you about what we're gonna to experience today. He reminds them again, man, this is not simply just a, a, a ritual. This has gotta become a regular practice, right, of the body of Christ. And in this practice, Paul's gonna speak really strongly. He's gonna say it demands something out of us as followers of Christ beyond just a ritual. It demands a unity of the body. It demands from, from us reflection, repentance, demands of us an anticipation of the things that are to come and the return of Christ. And so our, my goal for us in our time today is to maybe take something that you've done quite often or maybe very familiar with and maybe add a little bit of layers of depth to that experience. And Paul's going to give us a strong warning with that, but also a strong blessing that comes. And so we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. Now, can you imagine this? Paul writes a letter, and the religious leaders, the, the leaders of the church, get a letter from the apostle Paul. And so I'm sure they call the congregation together, say, come, let's greet, let's meet together. Paul has written us another letter, and I'm sure we are anticipating great words of encouragement and affirmation, and this is gonna be a good, fun-filled evening as we go, but we know many things from the Apostle Paul, because we've seen much of his writing throughout the New Testament, that Paul shoots pretty straight, right? He seldom mixes words. Paul values truth over feelings, and he's about to drop a little truth bomb on this church in Corinth as he goes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instruction, he starts off this way, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for better, but it's actually for worse. Paul, I mean, think about it. Like he's saying, I, I, not only can I not praise you that you're doing this thing well, I'm just telling you now that you're actually doing more harm than you're doing good when you gather together. Don't miss his rebuke. Just because we gather in a church building doesn't mean that we are pleasing God in what we're doing. This morning around the United States will be right around 380,000 churches that will meet and I'm reminded just because you have a cross on the building doesn't mean the gathering that's happening in the context of that is pleasing to God. This is what Paul says. So he's gonna detail to the church of Corinth, and I think the lesson for us this morning says this is what you're doing that's failing to honor God when you're doing the things that should be honoring God when you gather together and how it specifically impacts the practice of communion. It goes on in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. He says, I, I, I'm hearing there's a lack of unity. There's div 
divisions amongst you? And he says, I believe it from what I've heard and the testimony of who you are. And this Greek word for division, it's a great little word called schism, which means that there was not only happening in the church a division of opinion, but there was actually a physical division amongst the people. It was like the lunchroom for me in the 1980s, right? You had the jocks and you had the brainiacs and you had the skater crew and the goth crew that were all there. Uh, I mean, this is, this is breakfast club, right? 55 AD, Paul is saying, I come and these schisms exist. We can see it uh, amongst you. And this becomes such a big deal because from the beginning of the church, one of the things that marked the family of God was this idea that they met together. They had fellowship. They had meals together. If you remember back when we did our Acts 2 series, they met together and they shared everything in common, especially with those who had need. So they would meet in a gathering and break bread and have a meal together. And at the end of that time, the latter part of the evening, they would take communion together. And they called this the love feast. And it was called the love feast simply this, because it was showing love for the saints by all the things that they were sharing with one, one another. Paul drops this little truth bomb. He says, let me just remind you, what you're doing is far from the intent of this feast of love. The church began to have cliques and people were only eating with people who were of their own tribe. And instead of fellowshipping with the whole church, your church is now being characterized by favoritism and prejudice and a class system has begun to form in the context of the church. Schisms is what he calls them. And for us as Lex City, you know one of the things I love about who we are and who we're becoming is I think we're growing to continue to be a good representation of our city and of our community and who we are as a family that way. And I think it's one of the great strengths of our church, but I'm reminded too, this is something sacred that we've got to guard because our natural tendency by our human nature is always to move towards tribalism, to move toward those things that, and people that make us comfortable. And our culture in this day and age, wants to divide us so much on our differences, but Jesus wants to unite us once again on the oneness that we have in faith. So Paul tells us this, this is what I see about your church, it's tribal. But let me tell you, and this is an interesting, he says, there's some real value that comes out of it. There's a positive result of this favoritism being displayed by the church, go to verse 19. For there must be fashions among you in order here it is, that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. It says the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of Christ working in your heart and your life is that you treat everyone with love and respect. That you welcome people into your family and into your community and into your circles. In our context, like city, right? We do a lot out of groups. Every semester we invite new people to join us in these communities that we do life together with throughout the week in different times. Here's just a question. When they walk into your home, do they feel like an outsider or do they feel welcomed? Do they look around and observe and, and have the feeling like I don't fit, I can't break into this group or have we created together a culture of openness and welcomeness? See, we all have, the beauty is, we, we're a big enough church, we can't know everybody. We all have close friends that we look forward to seeing every Sunday and connecting with. But can I remind you that Paul says, man, the church is not a place of exclusivity, it's a place of inclusivity. That this is the place where you can be seen and be known 
there's an openness to gather and be together. So Paul goes on in verse 20, he says, when you come together, it's not even the Lord's Supper that you eat. Don't, don't miss this. He's saying, listen, you're coming together and you're breaking bread and you're taking the cup, but you're totally missing the purpose of communion. The Lord's Supper, communion, this is not a ritualistic act that you do. It's a personal act of worship where you respond to the Lord. It's a time of reflection and celebration of the work of Christ in our lives, right? It's this outward symbol of this inward devotion that we have. But if your heart's not right, if there's not unity in the family, then you're not taking communion. You're, you're, you're having a snack halfway through church. I mean, that's really what he's saying. You, you've missed the whole purpose of what God's doing. In fact, Jesus calls this kind of a ritualistic thing. He says, this kind of religion is what? The vain traditions of man. It's a mindless thing you just do because that's just what we do, right? It's this check the box. I did this Christian thing here. Paul says, man, it's deeper. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more significant. Some of you can give testimony to that. Been guilty at different times. We've just done communion. It's just been a ritual thing. We just check off so we're, we can say we're good this week. And Paul says there's just something more. This is a wonderful celebration, man, of our relationship with God. And it's deeply personal. This is that's why today it's your time. You and the Lord. This is where it is. We get to do it together, but it's deeply personal. So he goes on, verse 21. He says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. This was his problem with him. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. <laughs> what do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, he says, I will not. Here's what's happening. It's unbelievable. Context of the church of Corinth, they would gather in homes, groups of 20, 30, and 40, whatever it would be there. And they would get together at someone's home and share a meal together. They would pray together. They would read scripture together. And at the end of the time, they would... Uh, enjoy communion together, and it sounds like this beautiful, wonderful expression of life and family and groups together, except pride, division, prejudice had crept into the church, and here's what actually was happening. The wealthy would get together a little bit early, and they would actually have their own meal ahead of time, and they would drink the fine wine ahead of time. The Bible says they did it in excess, and don't miss it. They did it in such excess that by the time they were done with this first part, they were drunk. And then when they had tasted and enjoyed all the goodness of the best of things, then they would invite those who were poor to come in and join them. And they could then celebrate in the leftovers of what the rich had experienced a little bit earlier on. Pretty powerful. So your invitation would read this. If you make over 50,000, show up at five o'clock for the good stuff. If you don't, show up at seven and whatever's left, we'll celebrate that. I mean, it's just the depravity of our hearts. Do you not get it that, that reminded this is we're all susceptible to these things. And Paul's saying, man, you have missed the heart of God for the family of God. You have missed this idea of mutual submission and mutual respect and care for the body. It's become something so distorted. So it's better you not even meet in the first place because you're missing what God has for you. What a great way to promote unity in the church with this kind of thing. So Paul says, listen, you're doing more harm. Again, you're not a reflection of the heart of God because who is God? God does not show 
favoritism. We serve and celebrate and sing about a God who is not prejudiced towards the things of man. He died for all. He died for Jew. He died for Gentile. He died for the rich. He died for the poor. He died for the whole world. And the world is looking, isn't it? In 2023, they're looking to us, the church, and saying two things that are extremely appealing about who we are. Community, right? Connection with one another and equality. The fact that we can come here together at the foot of the cross and there's equality there. And so Paul goes on to say, listen, if you can create a culture and environment where those two things are expressed, quality and community, then God does amazing things and God is honored through that. Go on to verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Christ's death was the beautiful unifying thing of the body of Christ. That all people are equal at the foot of the cross. But the one thing that we all share here this morning is that we are sinners saved by the grace of God. And that the unifying factor, right? The unifying elements that brings us from all different parts of our community, from all different economic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, religious backgrounds, all the thing that brings us all here together that we can sit in these kind of moments is what? It's Jesus and his work on the cross when he died for all men, that Jesus is the unifying element for all. So that's why for us, we're commanded to take communion, one of the sacraments, we're commanded to do it together, right? You could do this alone, nothing wrong with that, but you're missing out of the one beautiful thing of the family taking these moments together. It's healthy, right? Paul says it's healthy for us to take to get together. It's unifying for us to take this together. And because communion, he says, is such a significant part in, in the life of a believer and in the life of the church body, Paul gives us some instructions on how we should take communion, right? Go to verse 17. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So he says, verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So his warning to followers of Christ is, listen, when you take communion in an unholy manner, rather than bringing blessing into your life, you're actually bringing judgment because of your condition of your heart. Paul says, man, this is the reason, this is no joke, why some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you have even died. So I want to encourage you today, it's, it's a serious thing that we enter into. It's a serious thing that we do that we shouldn't just take flippantly. It's important that we come to the communion table with a prepared heart rather than an unprepared one. 
We bring judgment when we take the elements in a non-reflective fashion and it brings judgment onto our lives. And so that may, just a quick side question, so it reminds us of the importance of, of doing that. That's why for us, we, we don't take usually communion on big visitor Sundays or we don't take communion on big holiday seasons when we have lots of people who are far from God who are joining us in the privilege of that just because that's not what it was designed to do. It's designed in the heart of the believer to, to do those things. And so we need to take it with a sense of seriousness. So when it's done correctly, Paul says, the beauty is it brings to us unity and blessing. So how do we do it correctly, right? Paul gives us three, three ways, three focuses that need to be true. Here's the first one. First one he says is this, that we must, three places to look, we must look back, 23 to 26, right? The broken bread reminds us of Christ's body that was broken on our behalf. We drink the cup, it reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed that we might have forgiveness of sin. We're reminded in these moments that Jesus gave himself into the hands of wicked men and he bore on his body the sins of the world in that moment and so we remember his sacrifice we look back but this idea of remembering here's what I encourage you today it's not simply recalling a historical event or facts your remembering is a participation it's a relationship with the living God that's very personal to you at the communion table, we, we don't walk around. This is not a monument for us to admire and remember the historical context. This is a sacrifice, a time of reflection. It's a time that we commune with the living Savior whose heart has been changed by him. So we look back. The second thing is that we've got to look ahead. Verse 26, the last part. We observe the Lord's Supper, what? Until he comes. That the return of Jesus the blessed hope of the church and the blessed hope of every believer. So we look forward to the day that he will return, that the sufferings of today are not forever, that the pain and the loss and the sickness you're experiencing today is not eternal. There is a greater thing that comes. So we look forward to the return of Christ. And third, that we should look within. And I love how Paul says it. Paul does not say that we had to be worthy to partake in the supper, but only that we had to partake in a worthy manner. The issue of a heart. So if we want to participate in a worthy manner, we've got to what? Examine our own hearts. We've got to acknowledge our own sin, and we've got to confess them to the Lord. So this morning, just as we get ready to prepare to take that, we want to look at those three things. We want to look back and remember Jesus' sacrifice. We want to look forward with anticipation to the return of the Lord and what that means. And thirdly, we want to look within to our own hearts. So we're going to take just a, some moments here of just reflection. Maybe it's even a time of repentance, whatever God would lay on your heart. And so we're going to take some moments. We're going to sing. Now listen, we have time, your space. We're going to sing two songs. I'm going to give you all the logistics, right? So you have time. You don't have to rush. You take time with you and the Lord. If you want to come down and pray and just say, God, these are some things I need to reflect on. Maybe these are things I need to repent on. The altar's going to be open here. If you want to pray with somebody, our prayer team, they'll be just standing on the sides. They'll have lanyards on. If you want to pray with somebody, it's your time that's there. But Paul just reminds us it's importance. As we enter in, let us not do as a ritualistic thing. That's a mindless thing we do. Let us be as men and women who are contemplative of what the Spirit is speaking to our heart.
So as we prepare for that, let me remind you what David says in Psalms 139. I'm going to read this. We're going to sing. We'll give you some moments. I'll put some questions on the screen that you can reflect on and maybe just lead your inner thinking. But Psalms 139 verse 23 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's reflect. Let's respond to what the Lord has for us. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.